0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, it's great to be here with all the dads today. Happy Father's Day. For those of you that know me, uh, this morning has truly been a testimony to God's faithfulness. It's definitely a dream come true you know this road called life has a few hills and valleys and uh, today is definitely one of those hills for me but uh, very very grateful to God to all the relationships here that I have with everybody and want to welcome the rest of you all as well it's not just about the dads today but uh, my name is Steve Marici it's just such an incredible privilege for me to be able to serve here with this church in the South Bay South Bay Church uh, also, being able to serve our sister churches throughout coastal Los Angeles. Uh, many of you know I've been married for 30 years to my beautiful wife, Jacqueline. My spirited wife, Jacqueline. Um, got to see part of the uh, package here this morning with uh, Stephen and his incredible wife, Erin. Aaron. And Erin's every bit as much of a daughter to me as if she were my own. Very, very grateful for her. Then uh, my mother-in-law is in the mix. Uh, we've got three generations here. My daughter, Shailene, uh, sister-in-law, Jerry Ann. I mean, Taylor, we've got everybody here today. So just very, very grateful. God is amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually got through that without any emotion. I, was, I haven't been smoking pot this morning, okay? Just want to share that. The re- eyes are red for another reason, and it's not the contacts. But we'll move right along here. Got a number of things going on this morning. Uh, we're going to be starting out with, uh, uh, actually in the same passage that Stephen shared this morning out of Luke 15. Uh, instead of what, what most of us are familiar with, which is, it's referred to as Jesus' parable about the paro- prodigal son, uh, I want to look at it from a little bit different perspective this morning, and that's the prodigal God. Now, I'll explain that as we get a little bit further into things this morning, but Did want to catch you guys up to speed. I know some of you want to know where we're at as far as our special missions contribution. For those of you visiting with us in the uh, coastal Los Angeles region, we um, take care of a number of churches, uh, specifically a group of churches in the Middle East, as well as a number of churches throughout Mexico and Central America and uh, the region as a whole raises $400,000. Our goal in South Bay is one hundred and fifty, dollars and as you can see, here's where we're at right now. South Bay Family Ministry had a goal of $119,179, $119,179. Uh, our actual to-date is $121,794. Yeah, that deserves more applause than that. That's a great thing to have accomplished, guys. We're on our way with our other two ministries, and then our uh, South Bay Singles have got a goal of 21, or excuse me, 23,170. They've raised $18,743 to date. Our South Bay Teens have a goal of forty-two They've actually raised $1,890 to date. We have uh, Miscellaneous, which is probably uh, those that uh, visit that decided to go ahead and participate with that as so giving us a total there of one hundred and forty three thousand eight hundred twenty-five dollars as you can see we're just a little uh over six thousand dollars away from our goal which is amazing amen yeah. i'm uh, i'm really looking forward to uh what's gonna be taking place here in a few weeks too and that uh, jackie and i have the opportunity to uh head to the middle east one of the things we're trying to do is do a better job uh relationally with the groups that we do support financially be able to get more information and news coming back from them as to where the uh, sacrifice that you participate in, that offering is going, how it's being used, people that are becoming your brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, so we're, we're looking for an ambassador to kind of take this on as we move forward in the region. Um, you know, it's, it is a, there is a, a time factor involved with it, and we, we want to get people going a couple times a year. Uh, Jackie and I do have the opportunity of going to, uh, we're, we're flying into Dubai on the 12th, uh, will be spending some time in egypt some time in jordan and some time in lebanon uh, there's actually a middle east conference which i didn't know that uh, i'm going to have the opportunity to speak at but god is amazing and I, I really appreciate so much more so what goes on in the foreign mission field in light of what really guys how easy we have it at home i mean uh mike's actually going to be going into the uh Sudan region which right now is it's in the midst of a war and christians are being killed because of their faith um, we uh, either have the good fortune of not going or the not-so-good fortune of not going. I, I'll just leave it in God's hand. For what reason, we're not heading in there, but uh, it probably means there's a better chance of coming back. But anyway, um, very, very grateful for this opportunity. And I, I know when I'm involved on the, in these situations, like Aaron was sharing about, it's amazing what it does for your heart when you have the opportunity to serve and see those that in a lot of ways have things a lot more challenging and where they're a lot less fortunate than we are based on just where we've been born. But enough of that, let's go ahead and uh, we'll move forward here. So the prodigal God, we all think we may know the story, especially when it comes to the prodigal son, but want us to take a look at that particular parable uh, in Luke 15 that Stephen started us off with this morning. And that it's, again, that parable is known best for the prodigal son. And w- what a parable is, is just basically a simple story or an allegory about a situation to help paint a moral or spiritual lesson that can be something that's easier for people to embrace and see the significance in, and with that a lot of times make a better personal application of what it is that's taking place. So in verse 1, we'll go ahead and start it there, says, now the tax collectors and sinners, and I, I'm coming out of Holman's this morning, just so you know what we're dealing with as far as translation. I like it, uh, it's it's definitely one of the more uh, uh, word-for-word uh, translations, it's much more accurate word for word than many of the other translations that are out there So uh, I'm a simple guy. I don't like having to read the asterisks on parts that have been deleted or added or you know Whatever the case may be this is, just keeps it simple for me And in verse 1 it says now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them Then Jesus told them this parable so as we start out here in the first three v- uh, verses, we see who it is that Jesus is dealing with. I mean, he's had people following for quite some time. Uh, there's a lot of things that Jesus has done that have created issues with the religious leaders of the day. Violations of the Sabbath as he's healed people. Uh, just, uh, just a litany of things that have stirred up the religious uh, folk. And that kind of goes back to a lesson I taught a few weeks ago when it came down to what we have as far as contrast between the temple model and the Jesus model. Obviously the temple model, again, being about a sacred place with sacred men, interpreting a sacred text for sincere followers versus the Jesus model, which is very simple, but as we saw, much more demanding, and that is simply being concerned for the you next to you. It's not about me, it's not about you personally, but it's having that broader perspective on the influence that our lives have, and this is where Jesus was coming from. So. He's teaching the crowds that are following with him, Pharisees, some of his disciples, other individuals that have been classified as sinners, and it went the gamut. There were drunkards, there were prostitutes. There was a wide array of people in that mix. So when it comes to the familiarity that we have with this parable, it's about a, a, a wayward son, a son that had some issues, a lost son, a prodigal son. And I, I know for me, uh, up until recently, the word prodigal, I thought it was kind of more of a you know wanderer, uh, wayward, kind of off-the-beaten-path kind of thing, but it's got a much more specific definition than that. If you go to Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, it's defined as a reckless spendthrift. Any any of you relate to that at all? Any of you ever have issues with that? I'm not asking for hands. We'll just leave it at that. But, you know, being recklessly extravagant. Now, you know, I I appreciate my daughter in this uh, realm last night. She took me out to dinner for... uh, Father's Day, and we went to the uh, father-daughter dance, and, you know, it was like, go wherever you want to go. She took me to this great Italian restaurant, the bill came, she snagged it from the waiter, I'm thinking, man, this is, I appreciate that degree of recklessness. <laughs> Good food and free food, I mean, you know, how can you, how can you fight or argue with that? But so with this recklessly being, again, recklessly extravagant or having spent everything, this is what I want, us, I want us to keep that on the forefront of our mind as we go through the passages this morning. So as we continue with what we're dealing with here, that absolutely describes the son in this passage that so we're going to take a closer look at, but keep in mind, it more importantly describes the father in this passage. This story, the father represents our heavenly father, and Paul explains conceptually In 2 Corinthians 5.19, we know, most of us know what went on with the son. I mean, he hit his dad up for his inheritance, then decided, you know what, screw this, I'm out of here. Took his money, blew it all, put himself in a position where he was impoverished. He was waiting to eat what the pigs that he was feeding were eating. And then he kind of comes to his senses. But think through the culture of the Middle East and the disrespect in a situation like this. I want us to be focused on the Father and the Father's response as we go through this. 2 Corinthians 5 sets us up for this. Paul gets this. He understood conceptually what was going on. So in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, it reads, that as in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he is committed to this message of reconciliation to us. So, you know, when we think about our own lives, I don't care how good you are, if you've told one lie, we know in Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, that that separates you from God. And again, we all know our backgrounds. We all know the stuff that's in our lives. But God wanted to provide a way for us to be able to continue to live with Him, to continue to be loved by Him, to continue to experience His grace, not only now, but for eternity. Paul gets this, and that in this... The normal response of the Father to what we're going to see the Son doing would be rejection or punishment or retribution or remuneration, something along those lines. But our God in heaven will not count our trespasses against us. He wants to be reconciled with us. He wants to have the incredible relationship that from a biblical standpoint over a span of 5,000 years, that's been God's plan from the beginning, since the fall. God's plan has been restoration. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, God's plan has been reconciliation. So as we continue here, this word prodigal really describes God's heart towards us. The price that God was willing to pay for our salvation. And so keep that in mind as we we go through this this morning. God is reckless with his grace. God's grace is reckless. God's grace is our greatest hope and should be a life-changing experience, generate this life-changing experience of transformation for each one of us. So one more time on that. God's reckless grace is our greatest hope, and that should be a life-changing experience for each one of us, amen? Luke uh, 15, verse 11, we'll continue. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And again this is so unlike what you would expect in real life but what does the father do any argument any debate it's kind of like Jesus saying come follow me and what do the guys do they followed him here the situation with the father says he divided his property between them not long after that the younger son got together all he had and set off for a far country and there he squandered his wealth and wild living after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. Now, keeping in mind the Jewish culture, I mean, it doesn't get much worse than this. I mean, here we're dealing with an animal that's, that's deemed unclean. It's an animal that the Gentiles would be raising for consumption. The Jews don't have anything to do with it. Now this guy is out there in with the pigs, which would make him unclean based on Jewish law. This is what he's been relegated to. This is the decisions he made based on squandering what his father had given him. It says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. In verse seventeen, you know, sometimes we've got to go through this thing called life. For me, it was thirty-two years before I saw my need to become a Christian. And you know, it, it, we can talk about hitting bottom. It doesn't. You don't need to hit bottom. I mean, prayerfully, we we can come to our senses before we. We, we, we just get into the situation that Satan will use to make us believe that, you know what, you walk in this building this morning, man, the roof's going to come down, you're such a mess. I mean, God, God isn't that way. But just really understanding, you know, we, we know what those compromises feel like. We know what a guilty conscience is. We know when there's just things that happen that catch our, get our consciousness aware. But it's what you do with that awareness when it hits that's the thing that's really key. So in verse 17, it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. We see remorse starting to kick on in here. He's realizing who he is and who his father was. I will set out, and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I love this aspect here. He's got the order right on things. He realizes with the disrespect and the lack of honor he gave his father, He's got a couple of things he needs to take care of here. One is his relationship with God in heaven. Two is his father. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. To get right with God, to experience God's reckless grace, we need to have the the humility, this ability to acknowledge who we are and where we are. Without that humility, we'll never see the need for God. We, we can sit around and we can justify, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person. Um, you know, that, that top ten list of gods, the, the Ten Commandments, I um, only you know, maybe violated one or two of the smaller ones. But man, there's so many people so much worse than I am. Yeah. What is that? That's that temple mindset of God. again. That's not the Jesus model. That's, what not, that's not what Jesus has modeled for us. You know, Jesus models this incredible degree of concern for us, each and every one of us with total disregard to himself, yeah. understanding what it takes to have a right relationship with God. So in verse 20 here it says, He got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, for me, th- this just kind of hit me. This shows that the remorse on his part was real. Because it wasn't a matter of his dad, you know, sitting there with an attitude, coming after him, and then figuring, like, man, i got to slip this apology in real quick here, or I'm going to get the beat down here in a serious way. He stuck to the convictions that he came when he realized where he was. That humility stuck. And even though the father embraced him and welcomed him back, he was still going after, really just connecting with his dad on this level. Verse 22 says, but the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, we see this, the young son at the beginning of the passage coming into the father and asking him for his share of the estate. In the Middle Eastern culture at this point in time, when it comes to estate, what do you think the primary thing was that that estate consisted of? it was land it was property and that property was status that's who you were in the community and the bottom line is a middle eastern traditional father here wouldn't have responded by simply dividing the land this son's respect this uh, the request of this son was incredibly disrespectful and by the culture would have been considered hateful that a son would even think of approaching his dad that way And you know we kind of talked about it a little bit, or I talked about a little bit earlier here. And the the more appropriate response here would have been to drive his son out of the family with nothing other than physical blows, let alone giving him anything beyond that. So we see with the father here: not only does he he doesn't just simply divide his property between the sons, father patiently endures a loss of honor and a loss of respect. As the pain of rejected love this is what this son was demonstrating yet we see how the father interacts now I don't know about you but when my friendship or love is rejected I've got some dark places I can go and usually it starts out with some kind of a slow burn that leads into something that's a little bit quicker burn which can be an outburst of anger verbally from me or even if it's not that, it may be a matter of keeping that slow burn going inside but totally pulling back from the people that I love or whoever it is maybe that I had that interaction with. And I struggle with wanting to retaliate. I, I struggle with wanting to put the walls up, pull my heart back. Yep. I mean, you know, I guess I'm not the only one. I'm hearing a few yeps out there. <laughs> Why do I do this? Why do we do this? I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think ultimately it's because we don't want to be hurt again. And I say again because most of us, How many of you have been hurt more than once? (laughs) Okay, uh, there may be somebody out there without a hand up, maybe they're asleep, I I, I don't know. but uh, We don't want to be vulnerable, we're real. Why? Because that sets us up for potentially more hurt. And Satan knows that when the walls go up, we're really a lot less, we're a lot less powerful Because we don't have the unity, we don't have one another, we don't have the support, we don't have other people in our lives at that point in time. So we go into this protection mode, but really, it's anything but protection. The father doesn't do that. He continues to maintain his affection and love for his son and bears the agony. Verse 20, I love this. This is such an incredible illustration. But while he was still a long way off, I would imagine that father continued to go to his window every day, pulling back the curtain or whatever it was they hung in the windows back then, and wondering, you know, Man, is that my son? It kind of looks like, oh, no, it's not my son. Day after day. We know that's his heart. We've seen that in the passage, waiting for his son. Probably looked out his window every day since he'd left, hoping to get a glance at that son of his. And then one day, what does he see in the distance? That's my son. That's my boy. And what does he do? Picks up his robe, which, you know, again, Middle Eastern culture, um, uh, an older guy grabbing his robe up between his legs and, you know, running on out to get his son, burying his legs publicly. But you know what I love about that? It just shows his indifference to the culture when it comes to the love for his son. He didn't care how stupid he looked, how funny he looked. He didn't care about any of that. The only thing he had on his mind was, here's my long lost son who I cannot wait to hug and kiss and embrace and welcome back. And that's exactly what he does. He sprints to his son, hugs him, loves him, embraces him. And the son doesn't even really get an opportunity to go breaking down this whole speech. Father ignores it. What, what, what's his response? You derelict? You derelict? No, his response is, bring the best robe. Now, what's the father saying here? If it's the best robe, whose robe do you think it is? It's his robe. And that's the kind of love. Again, thinking more about the you next to you than you. He didn't care. He didn't care about how anybody perceived him. All he cared about was getting through to his son, how, how he longed for him, how much he missed him, how much he loved him father is given an incredibly unmistakable sign of restored standing to his boy in the family and the father says you know we look at this i'm not going to wait till you pay off your debt i'm not going to wait until you grovel you're going to have to work your way back into the family the father simply takes him back and says i will cover your nakedness i will cover your poverty i will cover your hunger i'll take care of those rags and I'll put my best robe on you, and that represents your being welcomed back into the family, forgiveness, honor, and grace. God is reckless with his grace. You know, I know I can be this way from time to time, and this may be who we all can from time to time. I love the fact that when the father saw his son coming, he didn't, you know, step into the doorframe. Yeah. Yep, knew it was just a matter of time. Yeah. Knew you'd be back. What did I tell you? What did I warn you? He didn't go through all the what the son shoulda, woulda done, coulda done. Didn't wait to hear the story. He you know that, you know, there's probably a better explanation for what really went on here. You know, this kid of mine, man, he's in the doghouse. I am so done. It's about time that he came back. No, that isn't the response at all. God's grace is reckless and he spares no expense. He's extravagant. He is extravagant with his love for us. I want everybody to stop and think about this right now for a minute. Just listen to me. This is how God loves each and every one of us. How he loves you right now just as you are. Again, this is God. Extravagant, reckless doesn't matter where you are who you are where you're from any of that stuff he loves you for who you are he loves you even though you have a secret that no one else knows but you and god he loves you he loves you right now with all your weaknesses he loves you right now with all your strengths he loves you right now with all your talents he'd be saying well how how are strengths or talents a bad thing well where where can our personal strengths or talents take us Pride, and what does that pride lead us to do? Hey, God, I got this going on, man. I'm a self-made man, self-made woman. I don't need you. I got this all figured out. And I appreciate Aaron's heart with what she shared here this morning. I mean, this is a woman that's obviously been looking for God for a long time and had this relationship, but there was an aspect of it where she wasn't surrendered totally. But the minute she saw biblically what the Bible had to say, I mean she was serving in Soweto South Africa I mean how many how many of us have done that rhetorically I know there's maybe a handful but how many of us have been willing to go to that extreme to pour out that love to be more concerned with others but even with all that it wasn't that it wasn't that temple mindset about hey God look at me look at all I've done I've done this that and the other she wasn't looking for the accolades through all that she still realized something was missing And when it was presented to her, she had the humility to tap out and say, God, I'm done, bring me home, let's do this. Baptized three times, but the first two not understanding the, how many? Okay, (laughs) do I get that wrong? You know, in the first two times doing doing it, but not for the right reasons, understanding there was a component to getting in the water, which we'll talk about a little bit later this morning. God loves you. He loves you with your flaws, your faults, your unconfessed sin, your greed, your selfishness. He still loves you. Yeah, and this is how he is. He's waiting. He's looking. Is that him? Is that her? Are they coming home yet? Have they, she, he, had enough of doing it their own way? And as, he, as we return, it's not this... We get this. Yeah. Come on, come on. Yeah. Run it on out. What an amazing God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking back through this, you know, about God's grace being reckless, and uh, there's a passage in Romans 5 that Gordon Ferguson brought to life for me 24 years ago at the uh, LAX Marriott. It was the same place we had our woman's day this year. This, uh, year. But in Romans 5, verse 8, This really summarizes things again when it comes to the kind of god that wants to love us that wants a relationship with us romans 5 verse 8 it says but god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners see god didn't wait for us to check off a list god didn't wait for us to say some magic prayers he didn't wait for the penance he didn't wait for any of that because that wasn't what he was looking for god's always been looking for our hearts so what we see going on here is is just this Christ died for us while we were still sinners isn't that amazing we didn't have to clean up our mess first before God would even think about accepting us and then in verse 11 it says not only is this so but we will also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation God's grace is reckless why the reconciliation well we, we can see the answer in the book of Hebrews again this has been something God's been on the war path on for 5,000 plus years. Come on, guys, I'm here. I want you. I'm looking to embrace you. I want to welcome you in. In Hebrews 8, verse 12, you know, I think we all understand forgiveness, but this component blows me away. Understanding what it means to be clothed in Christ. In Hebrews 8, verse 12, he says, I will forgive their wickedness, but it doesn't stop there. And I think God understands how fragile we are. He understands the self-esteem issues that we can have, how some of us have these accused personalities. This is for you. I will forgive their wickedness, and what? I will remember their sins no more. That's amazing to me. But see, you you don't know. I've been in sin for a long time. I I haven't even confessed it. I've been this, I did that, I did this, that, and the other. Forgive and forget the Jesus model. Saw that on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen. Not the temple model model of punishment or payment to be reinstated. God's grace. God's reckless grace. You know, I remember uh, on the way to my baptism, driving to Bruce and Nortique's house, grip on the wheel. You know, they'd asked me to write out. They'd asked us to write out a letter about you know how we felt about God and his forgiveness, and just the whole bit, and it was amazing, and I remember the newness coming up out of the water, but going back to Bruce's prayer, he said God would, would not remember our sins anymore, and that really hit me. God wouldn't even remember, you know, and I, I thought then, how can that be? I, I couldn't understand forgiving, but forgetting as well, and we'll see this as we continue through the passage. We know that the father talked about this feast. He, talked, he told the service to, to get the fattened calf. You know, we got a little bit of that going on in my house later today. It uh, was where you celebrate Father's Day. I went to uh, Morello's Meat Market and picked up some carne and some pork and some pollo and getting ready to barbecue. But again, back to the culture, to get the fattened calf, most meals didn't consist of meat. And the fattened calf, I mean, this is the best. Again, God with the best of the best. But that's the, the extent, that's the willingness that he had. This is where he was willing to go. And through this, just this love for the son. I mean, we have the entire village that's been aware of this. We got everybody partying, and this is where the older son comes in. You know, we we got a little bit to celebrate here a little bit later today. We got a baptism that's going to be taking place. Soon-to-be new sister in Christ. Right after service, well, you know, you may be wondering why we have a horse trough out there. Well, that's what that's for if you're visiting with us today. But let's go ahead and uh, pick it up in Luke 11, uh, or Luke 15, verse 25. It says, Now his older son was in the field as he came near, and he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father slaughtered the fattened calf because he has them back safe and sound. Then he became angry and he didn't want to go in, so his father came out and he pleaded with him. But he replies to the father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. You know, we look at the older son here, and we can see that he is just as lost as the younger son. He is self-righteous. He's expectant. He also displays this incredible degree of animosity and disrespect towards his father. Total lack of love for his father. He publicly refuses to go into the feast, forcing the father to come out. Again, this is such, this is just, in any culture, that's kind of a mess. But in the culture of the day, the fact that the father would have to come out and plead with him to attend and explain himself... You know, we, we've got the son recounting everything that he's done. Again, the temple model, you know, keeping record, uh, check, check, got that done, check, took care of the, pit, or the cows, check, you know, did, you know ran the errands dad wanted from me, checked. And he believes that his father owes him for everything that he thinks he sacrificed or that he has done personally and how well he has obeyed. But where, where's obedience without the heart? I mean, isn't that kind of meaningless? and we see it come to light here you know today as you sit here we've got to ask ourselves what do you feel or what are you tempted to be entitled to or self-righteous about or expecting about you know as, as disciples i think it's very easy for us to slip into see probably easier to slip into the older son mentality than it is the younger son we have people that leave but i think we've got a lot more people myself included that can be there with that checklist well god you know why am I having to deal with this right now? Because I did this, 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 and this for you. Why am I having to deal with this? This doesn't make any sense. So we've got to be careful that we don't get into this mentality. God, do you know what I've done for you? Do you know how much I've done for you? How much I've given up for you, God? How much I've given up for the church, God? How much I've given up for your people, God? God owes me, The church owes me, disciples owe me. We need to be careful. I need to be careful. I owe personally a price that I couldn't afford to pay. And that's why Jesus paid it for me. You know, we see the father begin to plead with the elder son. But he refuses to come in. Well, how how will the father respond to his son's open rebellion? What will he do? Again, we see this amazing response that is so non-typical or customary. With amazing tenderness, he starts in verse 31. Son, he said to him, You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. You know, we look at the two sons, the sins were identical. They both resented their father. They resented his authority. They resented what he had that they didn't have. And they were looking for ways to get out from underneath his authority neither son loved the father for himself it was simply about what they could get out of their dad what they could take from him and what this shows us is how we can alienate ourselves from god by disbelief or disobedience because of resentment towards any of those things and how we can alienate ourselves by every bit as easily just diligently keeping the rules now if you think about this parable for a moment there's a character in this parable that I believe is missing and this would be the true older son one that adheres to the Jesus model the true elder son you know in this parable the younger son has a Pharisee for an older brother self righteous entitled I mean all this different stuff the older brother had no concern for the father do you have any concern for the younger brother as well no. absolutely none the older brother that's missing from this parable is the one that would have said dad don't worry you're older, you've got stuff you've got to take care of here. You know, the, the, the inheritance, whatever it's going to cost, that all that's left is what you've given me, Dad. All that's left is my share, my portion. I don't care what it costs, Dad. I'm going to find my brother. And I will not come home until I have him with me. Right. That's the true elder son that's missing from this passage. He should have been looking for his younger sibling. And the point of the parable here is that forgiveness always involves a price. The true parable, or the true older brother in this parable in our own personal story is Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That's the one component that we really don't see in this passage. And I think Jesus did it for a reason. They had him. They saw him. They knew what he was about. They knew what he was doing. On the cross, Jesus was treated as the outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely through get grace. Jesus paid the price with his blood on the cross in place of me, in place of you, so that we could enter God's family freely with grace. Romans 5 verse 8, again, I I just think it's really important. Romans 5 verse 8 puts it this way, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Family today, every day, every night, every moment, God's reckless grace is our greatest hope and should produce a change. Continuous spiritual growth for those of us that are disciples, for those of you that have been coming around and reading the Bible, just really understanding that, that it's free with the exception of you needing to make a decision. Right, a life of transformation, growth, continual maturity. See, God's reckless grace has only one prerequisite, and that is you need to know that you need it. So whether you're the younger son sinner or the older son self-righteous, do-gooder type sinner, both situations are a matter of heart. So what do we need to do to be saved? Well, it, it starts with our hearts. That, that's, that's where it always starts. It's something that God doesn't want an automaton. He doesn't want a robot. He wants us. He wants us on a heart level. He wants the love, the respect that's due him in light of what he's been willing to extend to us. So number one, we need to repent of the things we've done wrong. Younger brother sinner, you've done something wrong, you need to repent, you need to change. You need to quit pursuing what you've been pursuing that keeps you from having a loving relationship with God. Number two, you may need to repent of all the reasons we did everything right. The older brother, Pharisee, the checklist. We're going to close here in Acts 2, verse 36 next two verse 36 it says therefore let all the house of israel know with certainty that god has made this jesus whom you crucified both lord and messiah when they heard this they came under deep conviction or in some of your translations they were what cut to the heart when they heard this they were cut to the heart they came under deep conviction what deep conviction would be what really seeing where you're at and embracing it and not making excuses right he says to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? Peter says in verse 38, repent. You've got to be willing to change. You've got to be willing to let it go, move away from whatever it is that's keeping you from loving God the way he deserves to be loved. And then do what? So be baptized. Who? Each of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for what? For forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is how incredibly reckless our God is. He came down in the flesh. He gave up everything he had, his home. Isn't that what the father in the parable did? He gave up his inheritance. That was his stuff. He gave it up in order to be able to welcome his son back in. And this is exactly what God did for us. Talk about reckless, being, being willing to separate yourself from what I can't even begin to imagine when it comes to heaven and come down here in these frail bodies that we have. For those of you that are younger, it's like, what are you talking about frail, man? You know, I got it going on. Everything's working, everything's feeling good. Amen. Your time will come. But that's what God was willing to do, to take that beating for us, to end up on a cross covered with other people's spit and his own blood for us, giving all that he had up for us so we'd have the opportunity to really experience this reckless grace of God's. So what the parable shows me is that God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. And God's grace is our greatest and only hope. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, our God is a prodigal God. And His grace continues to be lavishly, recklessly poured out on us each and every day. Happy Father's Day.